G'day everyone, I'm your mate Nate. Strap yourself in for your weekly dose of money, politics and truth. Together, we look at high-impact stories that you may have heard of, but have never truly been told. From historic Kerry Packer tales to longer deep dives into the true origins of the welcome to country phenomenon. I'm your mate Nate, and get ready to rethink the way you look at the world around you. In today's episode, we dive into the complex and highly controversial topic of the welcome to country. I reveal the true origins of the phenomenon and raise questions about where we could be heading given its current trajectory. The welcome to country. That few minutes before every footy game, when your Jetstar plane lands on the tarmac, and maybe for you now, your work meetings where you awkwardly sit there and think to yourself, why the f*** am I being welcomed to my own country? It seems like it's become a core Australian custom, but how much do we really know about it? I did some digging, and you won't believe what I found out. From historical penis holding to welcome foreign tribesmen, to local land council reps being paid up to 11 grand for offering a welcome to country. I'm your mate Nate, and today we get to the bottom of Australia's newest ritual practice, the welcome to country. To get to the bottom of this recent phenomenon, I had to go back to the beginning, the origins of the welcome to country. The origins of the welcome to country can be traced to two events. The first is the Aquarius Festival in 1973, which took place in Nimbin. Yeah, the place near Byron Bay where you got your weed on schoolies. The festival, dubbed Australia's Woodstock, featured hundreds of attendees, white and black. Among them were two men, Gary Foley and Dennis Walker. Everyone has a right to defend themselves against an aggressive enemy. Key figures in the Australian black power movement, inspired by the American black civil rights movement, which had emerged in Redfern in the late 1960s. The pair took the festival organisers to task over their failure to ask permission from the traditional Aboriginal owners of the land to hold their festival on their turf. Recognising their concerns, the organisers sought out the local tribe elder, Uncle Lyle Roberts. Lyle agreed to welcome the festival goers and had them split by gender. Men sat on one side of him and women on the other as he welcomed them to the land. Amidst the psychedelic dreams of peace and love, the embers of the welcome to country were lit. Although it wasn't actually called that back then. One man at the festival, Frank Roberts, came home to his family buzzing by what he'd witnessed. He believed a moment of awakening for white Australians had arrived, one in which they could now respect the land and learn about traditional Aboriginal cultures. Listening on was Frank's daughter, Roba Roberts, who believed a respect for Aboriginal ownership of land should be inculcated in Australian society. Smoking it does cleanse it and it awakens those spirits and so we want to commence a journey with this festival. Rhoda, an artist and performer, began opening her productions for the Aboriginal National Theatre Trust with a short speech about the traditional owners of the land and their pre-European history. And so, in the 1980s, Rhoda Roberts coined the term, Welcome to Country. The next key event in the birthing of this phenomenon was the Perth International Arts Festival in 1976. Two young Indigenous musicians were there to perform, Richard Wally and Ernie Dingo. Yes, that guy from your childhood that was always on the telly. 
According to Wally, a group of Polynesian performers, two Maori and two Cook Islanders, refused to perform their dances without receiving a traditional welcome from the indigenous people of the land. Wally then went on to the local elders who granted him permission to welcome them. In his welcome, Wally asked the ancestral spirits of the land to watch over the guests and the visitors while they were in the country. From there, the idea of Aboriginal elders welcoming non-Aboriginals to country began to be picked up by various tourism agencies. First, the Northern Territory Tourism Board, and then the Australian Tourism Board. In 1979, one of the first public welcome to countries was performed at the Miss Universe competition in Perth. The competition later made famous to Australians by Jennifer Hawkins and Donald Trump. Through the next few decades, the welcome to country remained a relatively fringe phenomenon, failing to gain any mainstream traction. But that all changed in 2008 with Kevin Rudd's apology speech. We apologise for the laws and policies of successive parliaments. The day before the speech, Rudd opened the 42nd Federal Parliament of Australia with a welcome to country for the first time in the nation's history. The gesture catapulted the welcome into Australia's national consciousness and it has evolved ever since. Soon after, a two-tiered system was developed. Welcomes and acknowledgements. Welcomes are formal and often involve Aboriginal dance troops and smoking ceremonies and can only be conducted by Aboriginal elders. Acknowledgements are informal and can be recited by anyone. So with all that in mind, is the welcome to country just an invention by Nimbin Hippies and Ernie Dingo? The answer is not entirely. It didn't completely come out of thin air. The welcome is a modern appropriation of territorial customs found in traditional Aboriginal practices. When we dive into the history, many Aboriginal tribes had ways of granting permission and welcoming foreigners to their land. These welcomes were essentially verbal visas and were spoken, sung, performed, and sometimes there'd be a smoking ceremony depending on the traditions of the local group. Permitted peoples were granted safe passage and could use the resources of the land. Welcomes differed greatly between tribes. Some involved the exchanging of gifts. Others watered their visitors' heads from local waterholes. Some rubbed underarm sweat on them, and others spoke to deceased forebears at spiritual locations to make the newcomers known. In one particular tribe, wrote the Aussie anthropologist Mervyn Meggett, the men would place their penises in their hosts' hands as a sign of respect and willingness to engage. To refuse a penis was a sign of hostility. It's fair to say, welcome to countries have come a long way. Despite this, some scholars have actually questioned if welcome customs even existed. The archival researcher and geologist Alastair Crooks has stated, During years of geological site inspections, I have never seen or heard of a welcome ceremony being performed when entering tribal land, nor have I seen the ceremony performed when transporting Aborigines into or across various tribal boundaries, nor is any such ceremony described by any of the early explorers or anthropologists that I'm aware of. Is it that some Aboriginal tribes practiced these customs and others didn't? And now the modern evolution of Aboriginal traditions has just made them the norm? In recent years, a welcome to country industry has emerged. Welcoming non-Aboriginal people to country has proven to hold strong commercial value. Documents show that at the opening of Australia's 44th Parliament in 2013, Matilda House, an elder of the local tribe, was paid $10,500 for entertainment services. 
In November last year, Austrade reportedly paid two elders $10,890 to perform a welcome to country at the Australian Export Awards. A recent investigation showed the federal government spent over 45000 bucks on welcome to country ceremonies in 2022, but this number is likely to be much higher as some government agencies have not disclosed their spendings on welcomes. Costs are murky, as they're generally set by land councils, local elders and community representatives themselves. A welcome from the Gadigal representatives in the Sydney area, for instance, will typically set you back around 560 bucks. One of Australia's top bodies for arts, craft and design, the National Association for Visual Arts, has a cost guide. They charge out welcome to countries at 300 to 750 bucks, and smoking ceremonies are between 700 to 1500 dollars. Travel, food and out-of-business hours services incur additional costs. There's no denying the increased volume of welcome to countries at public events, functions and forums in recent years has made it a lucrative entertainment services industry. So wrapping this topic up is, it's a tough one. Some people have called the welcome to country tokenistic, a small and hollow gesture afforded by non-Aboriginal Australians to ease their guilty consciences. Others have called it an essential step to bridging the gap between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal Australians. Though no widespread polling data exists on how Aboriginal people feel about welcomes, but prominent Aboriginal figures are divided. Jacinta Price has said, it's not welcoming. It's telling non-Indigenous Australians this isn't your country, and that's wrong. Narunga elder Kerry White said the welcome to country had become an attack on Aboriginal culture itself because it's been appropriated for everyday use when it was only a ceremonial process for specific purposes. Senator Pat Dodson has said welcome to country is a way to respect those descendants who survived colonisation, extermination and settlement, acknowledging continuing relationships to particular tracts of land. While Minister Linda Burney has said each acknowledgement of country is telling Indigenous people they are respected and recognised. Yet beneath this seemingly inclusive gesture, I can't help but feel there's still a lot of questions. Whose land is this? Given the welcome to country is based on traditional practices to welcome foreign peoples to one's land, does that mean that every welcome to and acknowledgement of country that we hear before kickoff or when our plane lands or when your boss recites it at the work function implies that we are just visitors in this land? That would suggest that we belong somewhere else. Should you and I just go back to Europe, Asia, the Middle East or wherever it is that we came from? In other words, is the welcome to country just a politically correct way to say, go back to where you came from? I don't have all the answers. The welcome to country will probably continue to evolve. Many Australian companies have began displaying acknowledgements to their local indigenous tribes at the bottom of their web pages in recent years. The speeches at the footy seem to be getting longer and longer, year in, year out. Where will it go next? One thing is for sure though, the Nimbin Hippies and Ernie Dingo certainly left their mark on Australian culture. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're a new listener, we've got episodes coming out every Tuesday and Thursday morning. Can't wait to catch you in the next one, guys.